Lumos. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Harry Podcast, the show where we analyze and discuss each chapter of the Harry Potter series from a literary perspective. I'm David. And I'm Madeline, and today's episode is called Harry Podcast and the Servant of Lord Voldemort. Today we will be discussing how almost all the characters in this scene are wrestling with their own version of wanting to seek revenge, or get justice for something important, and how each person's actions here could have changed the outcome of the series dramatically. So this is another one of those chapters that picks off right where the last chapter ended, with Snape uh, explaining how he got into the shack via the Marauder's Map and the Invisibility Cloak um, while he was on his way to give Lupin his Wolfsbane Potion, which will come back around next chapter. Yes, and so Snape pretty much um, immediately starts um, yelling, you know, he sees Sirius there, he's obviously been in the room for a while, so he magically binds Lupin, um, and is going to try to get everybody to stop everything so he can take them to the Dementors, but before he can do anything else, um, Harry, Ron, and Hermione all try to disarm Snape at the same time, and so they end up knocking him out. Then they get back to the topic of hand, which was uh, Pettigrew being um, actually Scabbers. And Sirius explains how he knew where Pettigrew was from the newspaper clipping, and then uh, his missing toe, and then that led to his escape from Azkaban in dog form. Sirius then also explains that Crookshanks was suspicious of him at first, but once he understood what Sirius's goal was, um, ended up trying to get Scabbers out, and then actually just stealing Neville's list of passwords to bring to help Sirius get in. And then finally they get to the crux of the matter and Sirius explains that he was not actually the Potter's secret keeper because he convinced them that Peter would be a much safer choice because no one would guess that he'd been made secret keeper. And he didn't tell Lupin because he thought Lupin might be a spy. So Lupin and Black then transform Peter back into human form and start to interrogate him. Peter tries to pretend that he hid all this time because he was scared of Black and what Black did, murdering everyone. Um... But Black tells Peter that his fellow Death Eaters are angry with him, that are in Azkaban, um, and says that he's the only reason Peter never hurt Harry all those years is because he was too scared to act without Voldemort's permission or protection. Then Lupin and Black finally prepare to kill Pettigrew, saying that he should have died for his friends like they would have died for him. But Harry intervenes, finally saying that he doesn't want his to become murderers just for someone like him. And, and that's kind of the pivotal moment of the book. So the group agrees, besides Snape, who's still knocked out, to turn Pettigrew over to the Dementors, and the whole group, some are who, some are on their own and some are bound by magic, head out the tunnel to return to the castle. Okay, so as we mentioned briefly, this chapter is really about revenge in a lot of different ways, and so I thought it'd be interesting to go through each of the characters and see um, what kind of revenge they're trying to seek, if any, and then also try to think about what would happen if they got their way, because everybody has a different kind of perspective in this moment and something that, a way they want the scene to go. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about a little bit about what would have happened if things had gone that person's way. I think that's a really interesting idea, especially because maybe one of the biggest themes of this book is that revenge isn't a worthy goal right? because nobody ends up getting the revenge that they originally wanted. Um, Yeah. So it is, yeah, it is interesting to think about what would have been, right? And I also think it's interesting because, um, as we'll see, you know, obviously next chapter and then later on, when the time turner is used, that a lot of this is about, like, what could have happened in these alternate scenarios. And so Mm -hmm. I think that it's, it's interesting to think about this and how 
even how things could have been swayed without the time turner. Yeah. So let's start with Snape, because he's the one who's looking for revenge first in this chapter. So he's trying to get revenge primarily against Sirius, but also kind of against Lupin, just in general, his bullies when he was a schoolboy. So he wants to... Oh, and I thought this was interesting as well, because Snape's... um, Snape's a lot cleverer, a lot more purposeful about his revenge than other people are. Mm-hmm. Because I think one of the reasons why he's a Slytherin, he's always looking for an angle. You right. know, he's always looking for the the masterstroke, how to get everything that he wants at once. And in this case, it's, um, you know, Lupin, mm-hmm. possibly Sirius, definitely get turned over to the Dementors. Um, and he, Snape, gets all the credit for finding Sirius. Right. Maybe as a cherry on top, Harry, Ron, and Hermione get in trouble for being out of bounds. Right. So he gets everything that he wanted at the same time, rather than if he just killed Sirius and or Lupin there in the shack, then he doesn't get any of the credit for bringing them in. No, and so this is, and that's a, it's a really interesting turning point, not necessarily turning point, but just interesting element to his character, especially when we consider what happens later on in the series, um, and when he does decide to make other strategic moves, because this is a move that if it had worked out for him, it would have been good, so he... Would have taken, yeah, Sirius, probably Lupin to the Dementors. Um, but also, maybe Peter would have never been exposed. So Peter would have likely, because prior to, at this point in the chapter, he's not been transformed into, hum- into human form yet. Right. So um, if Snape had been like, all right, everybody, let's go, we're going to the Dementors, Scabbers would have probably immediately run away. Uh-huh. Um, Almost certainly. And... You know, nothing would have happened as, as in that he wouldn't have been exposed to Harry or anyone else. Um, and so... But they would have always wondered. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah. Because they wouldn't have had the confirmation that Sirius was actually innocent. Right. And, you know, especially if Lupin had gotten into trouble, for, that would be a huge issue. Um, and, of course, what we know happens with him later in the book. So there's a lot of things that could have happened, but I think the most interesting is you know, Snape kind of making the strategic move and possibly getting what he wants. Right. And that before they use the time turner, that is what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Because Sirius is locked up in the tower and mm-hmm. in custody and he's about to uh, get killed by the Dementors. Right. And Snape is about to receive the Order of Merlin. Right. Right. Um, Fudge says second class, maybe first class if I can wrangle it or something like that. Right. So that is the like prime timeline sort of yeah. before they go back and change things. Yeah, so this was this is very prominent, but at the moment or um in a mo- in a moment in the chapter he will be knocked out and so it seems like Snape is not going to get his way at this point. Right. And I think what you said about like yeah, Peter doesn't get exposed mm-hmm. is really um important because as we noted last chapter, one of the main reasons that Harry and company turn on Snape in this moment is that he's being so what they perceive as unfair, mm-hmm. you know, they because they decided to give Sirius and Lupin the benefit of the doubt, sort of, right. and hear, hear them out, hear their story, um, even though they think it's ridiculous at that point. Right. Um, but then Snape comes in and he's like, I don't want to hear it. I Like, I know you're guilty mm-hmm. and you're going to prison for the rest of your life slash going to be executed. Um, and so Harry, Ron, and Hermione basically all collectively decide at the same time that that's not right and right. They, need to, they need to stand up for these potential killers Right. Uh, in the face of a teacher who ostensibly is just looking for justice. And we talked about this a little bit um, last time, but they're the trio's um, hatred for Snape and distrust of Snape kind of implicitly overrides even 
you know, Lupin and Sirius, who Sirius is, you know, has been bad up until this moment and still kind of is in their eyes. And then Lupin, they do trust a lot. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. But basically it's like Lupin versus Snape, but also Sirius is over here and they're so quickly like, we just feel like Snape is wrong, even if they at that point have no evidence for it. What's so clever is that the reader feels that way too. Yeah, You know, it's written in such a way that you really empathize with Harry, Ron, and Hermione when they act against him. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he, even though he, like, you know, he's on the side of the good people, theoretically, Mm -hmm. but he's so evil in the way that he's going about his plan of action, you know, it's like, it feels so malicious and personal. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that does feel like it's getting in the way of justice being served somehow. So you as the reader definitely feel really involved in this um, conflict, and you're definitely on the side of the the potential killers here, too. Right, right. So let's talk about those two now that Snape's been knocked out and we can mm-hmm. kind of return to what, to them being sort of in control of the situation, Sirius and Lupin. Yeah, so Sirius and Lupin, um, when talking about revenge, obviously they're trying to get revenge against Pettigrew, which they explain, you know, even more in this moment. Um, and so we can talk more about, like, what happens later, but if this had happened, so if Harry so, had not... So wait, 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 let's step back a second. What do they want revenge against Pettigrew for, specifically... Because that's different than other characters. That's true. And then what kind of revenge do they want? Because that also might be different. So I think they want to execute Pettigrew for the crime of betraying the Potters and then also getting serious, um, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, in Azkaban, like mm-hmm. the whole scenario, hiding, like the, the, everything he's done. Um, mostly just betraying his friends in this way. Um Right. I think that's really important. Which is the biggest part, which like, we'll talk about. For Because f- for other characters, it's going to be more about, like, the actual crimes. Right. But for Lupin and Sirius, I think it really is about the betrayal. You yes. Know, the deaths are obviously important to them, but I think, like, the thing that they most think about is that they were betrayed by their friend. Yeah. And th- they talk about, you know, that we would have died for you, and we'll talk about that more. But I think that, yeah, the betrayal is huge, Um and they are, you know, ready to kill him together. So I think this was very interesting to imagine if this had happened. So if they had killed Pettigrew in this moment, um, a lot would have changed, obviously, yeah. mm-hmm. in, in the whole series. But there would... So basically, in this in this immediate aftermath, there would have to either be a cover-up of the body somehow. Maybe they would transform him back to a rat. Maybe they would somehow bury him, do so. I Either way, they're going to be covering up a body because... They're not going to be able to explain that very well um, unless, you know, Lupin comes up with some, like, Sirius goes and hides. Sirius is going to have to go into hiding anyway. Um, Lupin could have come up with some elaborate story about Pettigrew coming and attacking him, but it would be very difficult. Um, and I know that Lupin would also not make the kids lie about it. Mm-hmm. I think he would have a moral issue with that. So I think, you know, somebody would have eventually mentioned it. They would have gotten in trouble. And... Um, if Pettigrew were killed right now, um, you know, likely Voldemort would not return to power at least soon. Yeah, that's probably true. I think readers might be a little bit too invested in that idea. I think the f- the fact is that he would probably come back at anyway, some point anyway. It might not, not be as soon as, as soon, this. Yeah. But maybe that doesn't really matter that much. Um the fact is that Pettigrew's importance to the story is only in that he was able to find Voldemort and return him to life, not that he is, like, the only person that could have done that. No, of course, but I think that it's, 
you know, I, I don't think it should be dismissed. I think it's a huge, yeah, no, you're right. a huge thing, um, especially because, you know, 99% of the other Death Eaters are in Azkaban or have been killed already. So he's... Oh, I don't think so. I mean, a lot of people like Lucius Malfoy are just out because just, they had money oh, and, and they, they had connections. Um, and, and they just don't know that Voldemort is still alive. Right. They don't believe. Um, and they don't want to stake their entire reputation or their power right. or prestige on trying to find him. But, I don't know. He but, was just in a unique position, I think. But going back to this, like, yes, he, he was definitely in a unique position because he was desperate. Um, but going back to this, uh, I think the crux of your argument with, like, what would happen in a potential future is that Sirius doesn't get vindicated. Right. So Sirius has to go into hiding. Um, because there's no proof anymore after Pettigrew's dead, um, now Lupin has to cover it up. Right. And now Lupin is risking life in Azkaban or, or whatever for murder. Um, and now Harry, Ron, and Hermione are culpable. Now they're an accessory uh, to murder. And again, as you said, like Lupin wouldn't make them lie about it. So, you know, honorable Harry and loyal Ron and um, at this point, like meek in the face of authority, Hermione are definitely going to tell Dumbledore about this or mm-hmm. at least somebody. Because they're going to think, well, you were in the wrong. And Dumbledore's going to understand and Dumbledore's right. going to get it. But right. the Ministry of Magic won't. Right. So, you know, Sirius uh, and Lupin will have to be on the run forever because of that. Harry doesn't think about that when he intervenes. Right. That, he doesn't that this would ruin their lives. But, uh, you know, it's clearly still like the correct decision in, in terms of like what's best for the characters, which is fascinating. Um, so going back to the idea of why they specifically want revenge and what they say to Pettigrew, um, Lupin and Sirius, is that they say that, you know, the fact you should have died for them because he because Pettigrew basically says, well, Voldemort was going to kill me if I didn't give up some information. And yeah. um, they're like, I don't care. You should have died for the Potters because we would have done that for you because they were exactly. such a loyal group. And that kind of, um, that loyalty is huge. And I think that this part of the book shows what the series and in general thinks of true cowardice which is you know going with whoever has the most power and can protect you so in this case Pettigrew seeing that he's gonna be killed and also that he will be protected by Voldemort he thinks um instead of who your friends are and what your values are and that's it's just a huge betrayal of of everything that he was supposed to stand for in that group of friends and shows what a weak person that he really is. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, being faced with your own death, people do different things, but this is something that's so severe and that he was supposed to be on the good side. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he knew that that would mean not only the Potters were going to die, but that, you know, later on, Sirius goes to prison, all those innocent other people died. Yeah. A lot and, of things happen. And he did that intentionally. He, right. He intentionally made it look like Sirius was guilty so that Sirius would take the fall. Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't just a spur-of-the-moment thing. Like, this was a a calculated action that he took. Yeah. So, it, it you know, it is, it is kind of a more complex cowardice than just the, you know, person cowering in the corner when the big, you know, strong person is, is threatening them. It's, it's more like a you know, being constantly anxious, constantly scared and trying to figure out what's the best way for me to escape any and all punishment or harm or, you know, seek the most right. possible protection, really as you were saying. the tracks, having other murders to cover up your own. I mean, it's just, yeah. it's, um, you know, he is, even though he's very um, weak, 
he's very smart in terms of figuring out. I mean, that was a pretty elaborate plan, and he had to figure that out for his own self-protection. Kind of. I, I definitely think that he's not as intelligent as any of the other no, people no. in that group. But, but, but yeah, it, it did take some brains. Yeah. But I think one of the reasons that Lupin um, never suspected Pettigrew and, and Sirius until it was too late uh, is that they just thought he was too weak, too unintelligent right. to be able to, right. to carry out something as complicated and, and special as espionage. Right. That, like, he wasn't capable of, of that kind of mm-hmm. action. But I think he was. So in his own way, he did prove his competence, but um, not in a way that anyone would be proud of. But I do want to talk about his character because this is kind of the chapter in the whole series that we get the most insight into what Pettigrew is like. Um, it's it's the one where we have the most face-to-face contact with him, and it's a very emotional scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he's going around begging everybody to spare him. Um, and, and it really is very dramatic. So um, we've talked about him being cowardly. Uh, I think Lupin mentions that he was always you know, on the side of whoever happened to be the, the biggest and most powerful bully on the playground. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I think that realization must have come to Lupin later on because right. at the time he must have known it, but it didn't occur to him that that they weren't special. Right. I think there was this aura about all of the four of them, or at least the three of them, James and Sirius and, and Lupin sort of also, that they were this really special, like, golden trio, mm-hmm. just like Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Like, people looked up to them and, and here's... Peter Pettigrew, who idealizes them, right, right, and they're and they're they're friends, but there's a power dynamic there mm-hmm. where Peter is a hanger-on, right? Um, he admired their talent and their bravery, and and he was aspiring to that ideal. That's what landed him in Gryffindor House to begin with, is that he wanted to be like them, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, he clearly wasn't when they started out, and he didn't end up like them either. So I think actually that this is a really powerful foil to Neville's character. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Because Neville also starts out at Hogwarts and he idealizes Harry, Ron, and Hermione. You know, Hermione's so intelligent. Ron is so, like, charming and, and loyal. Um, and he knows so much about the wizarding world. And Harry is so brave and he has this famous past. Um, and he always sticks up for what's right. And and um, Neville is kind of like a hanger-on to their group a little bit. Yeah. They don't include him as much, maybe. Um, but But what's fascinating about the difference between them is that Unlike Neville, who does learn how to be brave and how to stand up for himself and what's right, right. and ideal, um, Pettigrew never learns to stand up for himself or to confront anything no. on an ideological level. It's all about what's best for him. Um, and like whatever that takes, it's always going to be what's best for him. And so he ends up like this twisted version of what he once aspired to be. It's like evil, pathetic, cowardly, but in like a very murderous way. So what do you think about that foil between the two of them? Yeah, and I think, you know, important to note that not only does you know, Neville become this hero in the later books, but I think even, you know, from the first book, from very mm-hmm. early on when we know him, obviously he takes stands against his friends, he, um, he t- stands up for himself, you know, he does a lot later on in the series, and so it's not just that he eventually became something it's that he always was kind of his own person and um was just you know growing in confidence and peter didn't have the confidence but he also just didn't have any integrity or any personality really even he didn't have any values that he was going to stand behind it was just whoever's the most powerful whoever is going to protect me 
because I know that I'm this kind of small, like, wimpy person, um, you know, I need to have this protection. Let's go deeper with the psychological study of him, though, because I think that part of the problem for Pettigrew was that he was part of a group that that enjoyed his kind of adoring attention. Yeah. Whereas Harry has absolutely no interest in being adored like that. You right. could also compare him to Colin Creevy, maybe. Right. Colin Creevy is another, like, desperate fanboy, but Harry never includes him in his life. Right. Because he's like, I don't want that kind of attention. Um, I'm not special. Like, you shouldn't be idolizing me. Right. Uh, like, you need to be your own person, do your own thing. Um, and, and, like, he teaches Neville. Harry teaches Neville this lesson where he's like, you have to stand up for yourself. Right. You're, you're worth 12 of Malfoy. Right. He's buoying him up. I don't know if Peter Pettigrew ever got that kind of treatment from James and Sirius. No, no, that's, I think that's a really good point that... I mean, they're, they were bullies, so they probably they bullies, bullied yeah. him a little bit too. Absolutely. But, but because he was included in their group, kind of. fine, yeah. Pettigrew was like, haha, I'll go along with the joke. Um, even when he's the butt. No, and I think that's actually really important because, like you're saying, they wanted the attention. They're those bullies. And I think that, you know, I think I think about this through as we learn more and more in the series. But I think it's important to emphasize, and we'll talk in a minute about what Harry's trying to do with James's legacy. But I think it's important to emphasize that even though we still hold them up on this pedestal, especially... James being dead and not knowing him really, I think it's important to emphasize, like, they were really bullies and they probably, they're, I think that they should be responsible. They have some responsibility in terms of what happened to Peter. Absolutely. Um, I mean, they, they couldn't have known what, what that would do to a person. Right. But I think indirectly their, their way of treating him like he was not worthy to be their friend, like he was not an impressive wizard or a good student or anything worth complimenting. Um, and I'm I'm using conjecture here, but that's the feeling that I get yeah. when I when I read these the series and how they treated him, that they they wouldn't have known that that would that would have equipped him to become this horrible coward. No, it's true, and we all know what it's like. You know, I have seen this kind of subtle bullying of certain people in friend groups or in situations, and I think that especially with the kind of power that they did have, um, um, and you know the the intelligence that they did have, I think that they were probably very good at that. And they really pushed him to a point where he didn't have any skills to, you know, stand up for himself in any way. And he had no chance against Voldemort. Right, right. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of like what... I'm sure this is like Hermione's biggest fear, is that Harry and Ron will never be good enough at magic to not ask her for help all the time. Mm-hmm. She's always like, you know, I, I don't want to do your homework for you because then you won't learn it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure James and Sirius were often like, oh, Peter, you're having trouble with that essay? Let me just, like, write part of it for you. Mm-hmm. Or Lupin, too. He was really book smart. All right. And they probably didn't bother, like, trying to help him get better. They were just like, this annoying little guy is just, like, wasting our time. So let's get it over with. And he'll do whatever we want because we're yeah, exactly. we're taking care of him in all these ways. Yeah, so it's it's very it's a manipulative and kind of un, unbalanced relationship. And I think part of the point of of this friend group being so prominent in the history of this world is that you're supposed to look at it and see how different it is from the dynamic of Harry, Ron, and Hermione, yeah, that's who true. who are the legacy of that group, right? right. And how different it is from Fred, George, and Lee Jordan, who are right. who are the inheritors of the Marauders' title, kind of. Right, right. Um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways they use it. The three of them have a very shared power balance. Right. And they're all very, like, joyful and funny, and they don't bully people. Right. Um, 
And so that's except that's like Percy. very different, right? Well, yeah, except <laughs> Percy and and Malfoy, but like they don't they don't punch down, right? No, I think that's the thing that we've talked about before, but um but James and Sirius certainly punched down a lot. Absolutely. And I think, you know, now that we're talking about um Pettigrew's character more, I think it's actually pretty fascinating and um you know, kind of maybe not for the best that Snape is not here for this because in a way like Pettigrew and Snape are similar in that they were both bullied by the same people, but, you know, Snape was, like, never wanting to be in with them. Although at the beginning, maybe he was. It seems clear that he wasn't. He, it kind of like a Harry Draco situation, they just didn't like each other right away. Right away, and then obviously with Lily, but either way, like, yeah, they got, so they're they're not similar in that way, but but they're both bullied, and Snape has sort of taken it as, like, you know, they are beneath me, and I'm going to, um, you know, make sure that, whatever, that they know that. But Pettigrew is like, I'm below them because of this. And, yeah. you know, it's a different way. They're obviously very different personalities, but it's still just a different way of looking at it. And I think Snape might have seen, if he'd seen this scene, like, this is kind of the opposite yeah, of no, me. that's interesting. That's interesting. But yeah, I think in, in summary, like, the character of Pettigrew is supposed to be kind of like a what not to do with your friends. You know, it is, it's a worst case scenario for like what happens to the kid that that you were friends with that you bullied. You know, he ends up betraying you and everything that you stood for because what he really wanted was not your friendship. It was to be taken care of and protected and right. and because you never gave him the social skills or the um life skills to be able to stand up for himself mm-hmm. then that's what he always needed okay so back to the rest of the characters and their kind of relationship to the scene and revenge um so ron i think is interesting because although he's not trying to get revenge specifically at least right now he does want something even if he's not articulating this fully to himself he wants something in exchange for being fooled into taking care of peter it's very disturbing we mentioned this a little bit last chapter but to think about sleeping in a bed with this man clearly Mm -hmm. after he's seeing him feeding him and loving him and not just him but his whole family and it's just a very like violating exploitative like thing when you really think about it like he's really taking advantage of this family and particularly ron um, and he's also taken that and still is still the same, you know, rat that he is. And he hasn't turned into, you know, a be- he hasn't, like, seen the light after living with a nice, like, poor wizarding family for a while. Right. Um, that so, hasn't changed him personally. No. And I, I mean, you know, who's to say that that's even possible if you're <laughs> literally being a rat this whole time? Obviously, it's probably <laughs> changed him. Like, but I think that. Um, I don't know, Ron is, Ron is so hesitant to let them take showers and then fully admit that this even happened. I, I don't think he's still in shock from it even after this. And so, um, you know, Ron is seeking something and, you know, he eventually will get a little bit of acknowledgement from Sirius about that later. But yeah. it's a really big deal and it's something that's really messed up when you think about it. Agreed. And I think... You know, calling it revenge might not be the right word, but the theme of this chapter certainly is revenge. And in some ways, I think Ron 
is is getting to the point where he wants some kind of revenge. But as you said, it's more of a disgust with Pettigrew and the whole situation. I think he just wants it to be gone. He wants it to be gone. He feels wronged because he was taken advantage of and, and he feels creeped on. Right. But he doesn't want Pettigrew dead. He just kind of wants this problem to go away. Right. And he's, but I think he sort of wants and later or in general feels like maybe like more reparations than revenge. Like yeah. he wants something for what he went through. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, um, and as you mentioned, he does get that in the form of a new pygmy owl from Sirius. Yeah. Um, so then Hermione, I think she's basically the only character here in the shack that doesn't have like this intense emotional need for some kind of revenge no personal revenge yeah nothing personal i mean she was really betrayed by lupin because she had been keeping his secret for him right right? um and then she felt like he was on the wrong side but now she's kind of coming around and seeing that he actually does have a point maybe and then when the reveal happens and and pettigrew is um demasked uh then she understands that they were telling the truth the whole time and I think at that point, she doesn't really feel betrayed anymore. So this kind of allows her to stay a little bit more emotionally detached and focus on what's happening. Right. Um, So that later on, when they use the time turner to go back, she kind of has more awareness of what they need to accomplish during that whole thing. And finally, we come to Harry. So Harry is specifically struggling with revenge for his parents' death. So... He doesn't have much of an attachment to Pettigrew specifically in the betrayal, although he feels that in some ways. But he's thinking that Sirius killed his parents or is responsible for that. And he's sort of coming into this in this moment. And we saw in the last chapter that he did not kill Sirius, you know, when he kind of technically had the chance. But that's what he wanted to do. Right. That's what he wanted to do. He was in that mode. And now um, he learns it's Pettigrew that's responsible. um, And he really makes a very quick and pivotal choice for the whole series of saying, I, I don't want Sirius and Lupin to murder for Peter, it's not worth it, and have the death on their hands, um, and especially for his parents' sake and his dad's legacy. And so as, as we talked about before, you know, he's starting to hear some kind of mixed reviews about how James was. but the, Right, getting different information from Snape and... It, Lupin slash Sirius. Right. And, you know, we've been talking about the, our perspective on it, but I think that, you know, we don't know, we really don't know much about James and we don't actually throughout the whole series besides what we hear. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Harry is right now really like creating this legacy and saying, you know, James wouldn't have wanted that and my dad wouldn't want that. He doesn't know that. He genuinely doesn't know that. And I honestly no. think that James probably would have wanted them to kill him. Like, my personal interpretation of James, and not even in a judgmental way of him, but just to say that I think that the three of them together, kind of in that mode, would have been on the side of, like, we gotta, you know, he he betrayed us, like, we're loyal, like, this is our thing together. Yeah. So, I mean, that's not really the point, but I think it's interesting that he's just making this decision about his dad's legacy, and then that important, it's important because that's what guides him throughout his life is yeah. believing that about his dad. I think it's really interesting to examine like what he knows about James. I, you know, we, I think we've talked about it briefly at different points in the series, but a lot of his perception of James as a figure comes from not even actually what people say about him, but kind of the way that they talk about James. Right. Um, you know, it's with kind of a reverence. 
almost. Very fond of him. Everyone. Very, very fond. I mean, everybody that says you look just like your father says it with such warmth. Right. And like, like they're remembering the, the best day they ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have your mother's eyes and both of those things are immensely good. Right. Everybody that talks to Harry about his appearance is always like, I loved your parents so much. And mm-hmm. like seeing you reminds me of them. And it's so wonderful. Um, so that's his, where his conception of James as a figure comes from is, is those like reminisces. Nobody's really described James to him, mm-hmm. but just saying that like seeing you reminds me of him and it's so great. Right. Um, and, and now he's kind of learning information about James for the first time. Not all of it's good, but Harry is still really tightly holding onto this idea of his father as a good person that had like was upstanding and had good morals and I think Harry is also trying to say, like, I I want for him what I want for myself, which is, like, I want the morals that I have to be reflected in him. Mm-hmm. And I want, um, you know, and I have to think about him as, like, an idealized version of myself, something to strive for. And right. so when Harry is like, I'm being emotional and I want revenge, then he realizes, like, this is wrong. Right. And he's and he's kind of thinking about this in terms of what his father would want, but really it's what Harry wants. Yeah, it's what he wants. And Harry, you know, from what we know again, Harry is a much more you know, because of his because of everything in his life, but he's a much more serious and can consider it very kind of very moral person, like throughout. You know, yeah. he, he makes mistakes, but he makes he always learns kind of the same lessons from them and point him in the same directions. And I think that um, James is is not like that. I think that that James was someone that everyone would love. Like, everyone would love them, him. And I think that he was genuinely a good person, but I think he was much more of that, like, reckless Gryffindor, and he yeah. made a lot of mistakes that... And, and weren't James, always great. James, it seems like, didn't ever have to make really tough decisions like Harry no, has to no. make. I doubt whether James ever, like, held someone's life in his hands right. and had to decide, like, how to do the right thing, where Harry has had to do that multiple times already. Right. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think, again, like, this idea of James that Harry has, people have said to Harry that, like, oh, he mellowed out later on in life, like, mm-hmm. once he like got married to Lily and had like and had you like he he was like a better person than he was at school um so we don't really know what he was like truly but um yeah i think it's it's safe to say that like harry's moral grounding is um a lot firmer than his father's so it it is interesting that he puts it in the in the referential standpoint of like this is what my dad would have wanted when as you said he doesn't know that right. um but i i think that it definitely is like him saying that for his own benefit. It is, and that's sometimes sometimes that's what you need. If you don't know some information about the past, especially if it's a traumatic situation, you have to make up something that is not necessarily untrue, but is is whatever you need in order to go forward and whatever is going to be helpful for you to think of as what do you need from this absent father figure? Like, he wants this kind of moral code that he... Mm-hmm. hopes that james would have taught him and lived like yeah and as i said it you know it gives him an ideal to strive towards yeah, right that 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 he feels like he needs to live up to his father's legacy and so he's creating this really ideal legacy in his mm-hmm. mind so that that pushes him to be a better person mm-hmm. and that's really really critical um this chapter i think is one of the big turning points of the series because 
Harry goes from someone at the beginning of the chapter who's out for revenge, out for justice in the form of retribution, killing whoever killed his parents. That's what he wants to do. To, at the end, realizing that that's not what he wants, that's not the goal. He doesn't want retribution. He wants peace, and he wants a resolution that makes everybody, if not happy, at least a little bit better. Right, Um, right. and, And that resolution to Harry looks like turning Pettigrew in, getting serious the vindication that he sought for 12 years, you know, not putting Lupin in jeopardy, not putting Snape in harm's mm-hmm. way either, and I think trying to minimize the destruction that the act of vengeance would have gotten everybody. And that carries him through the whole series. I mean, one of the, the major themes, as we discussed, of this book and of the series in general is that revenge is not a worthy goal, that the the way to defeat evil is not by using retribution as a tool as much as we might want to do that um remorse and forgiveness and as dumbledore says love are much stronger weapons thank you all for listening to harry podcast and the servant of lord voldemort we hope you've enjoyed our discussion of this chapter if you have thoughts or questions about anything we've discussed today especially the characterization of peter pettigrew or Um, what Harry perceives as James's legacy, please email us at contact at theharrypodcast.com. You can find out more about the show and listen to any of our episodes at theharrypodcast.com or on Apple Podcast. Stay tuned for next time when we get in close to Chapter 20, The Dementor's Kiss. I'm Madeline. And I'm David, and we'll see you next time on The Harry Podcast. Knox.